from WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio Station. Welcome. I'm Warren Odestulet, and this is A Baha'i Perspective. Welcome to A Baha'i Perspective. Today I'm playing a telephone interview with Stephen Boone. Steve is an artist who has an art gallery in Santa Fe. You can find his artwork at stephenboonegallery.com. He also does photographic art, and you can see this work at graphicsshoot.com. Steve suffered a tragedy when his daughter died at a young age. He published a book called A Heart Traced in Sand about the experience. The book won a number of awards. I started the interview by asking Stephen where he grew up and what was it like growing up there. I was born in Chicago. My father was a student at the University of Chicago and uh, met my mother in Chicago. The first 11 years of my life were spent in the Chicago area. I have pleasant memories. Uh, I I do come from a large family. Uh, I have uh, three brothers and a sister. But I'm the oldest. I was the firstborn. When my parents first met, my, my father was in college, and it, he was working two or three jobs to uh, uh, get through, and uh, we were rather poor. I remember uh, the tenements in Chicago, and, and my introduction to school was a, a preschool, a big concrete lot with a building on it. I just remember running running around on that concrete pavement. My first known friend in this life was a little black boy. His name was Darnell. I, I didn't know that he was black. He was pure spirit to me. And we just had a blast. That was one of my first distinct memories in life. What was the ethnic mixture in your neighborhood growing up there in Chicago in the tenements? White and black. I grew up in a family that uh, my father uh, absolutely had no prejudice. There was no religion in my household, just a sense of goodwill. And my father's always worked for strong social causes. Uh, he got a degree in criminology and he worked with gangs in the streets of Chicago. And he went into the police force and quickly rose to, the, to be captain of the Cook County Police. It only lasted a few years, and then he went into uh, working for foundations. And He's always been a socially conscious person. And Growing up, he'd bring black friends over to the house or Hispanic uh, Indian friends. <laughs> I had a really uh, wonderful introduction to uh, non-prejudice through my family. What were your interests growing up? I've always been very uh, close to nature. I... I, I'm, I'm sensitive to uh, the, the feeling of the air, the, the wind, the, the sky, the spaces around me. And this is why today I'm an artist, I believe. My interests were uh, outdoors, reading, eventually music. Also, I, I, like I said, I, I had a big family, so uh, there was always, like, for instance, sibling rivalries mm-hmm. in the household. and. Uh, just a, a lot of play activities, you know, normal, normal household growing up. 
My mother was a stay-at-home mom. You said music. So did you, like, play an instrument or sing? It didn't begin immediately. Uh, when I got to, uh, like, fifth or sixth grade, I was asked, I remember it very well. I was asked by uh, the music instructor at the elementary school, what instrument would I like to play? I looked up at him and I said, the bugle. And he said, well, we can't really give you the bugle to play, but you could play the trumpet. Yeah. I, I actually didn't end up playing the trumpet. I, in junior high school, I, I took flute lessons and uh, learned how to play the flute. You stayed in the Chicago area when you went into high school? No. As I said, uh, the first 11 years were spent in Chicago. Then my father took a job at the Ford Foundation, and the family moved to New York. First White Plains, and then Port Washington, which is on Long Island. We only stayed in the New York area for about a year and a half, and then he went to work in Washington, D.C., and the family moved down there. He uh, worked closely with Robert F. Kennedy and Office of Economic Opportunity and Sergeant Shriver, he worked closely in, in uh, social causes. He helped establish the foster grandparent program in the United States. He helped establish the food stamp program. He helped get uh, black people their voter rights in the South. He was a very dynamic man. He is still dynamic, although it's like he's, uh, he's in his 80s now. He's slowed down considerably. I learned a lot from just being in the household I, I grew up in. So what did you do after high school? After high school, I moved to uh, New Mexico, well, where I'm, I'm living now. I first uh, went to New Mexico State University, developed a sense of being an artist, and decided that's, in fact, what I wanted to be was an artist uh, after two years of university. I went back to the East Coast because the art program at, at New Mexico State University was not very well developed. So I, I moved to the East Coast and enrolled in uh, the Maryland Institute College of Art, which is the second oldest art college in the United States. I graduated with a degree from uh, that university. So why did you go to New Mexico State in the first place? <laughs> well... I wasn't such a great student in high school. I I would have done better in a high school devoted to the arts. So when I graduated high school, I wasn't in the even the top half of the graduating class. As I was searching for colleges to go to, uh, my best friend's sister encouraged me to go to the college she was attending. She said, uh, Stephen, it's easy to get in where I go to school. <laughs> <laughs> so I applied. They accepted me, and I went out to New Mexico and uh, spent two years and then transferred to an art college. Now, how did you find out, Stephen, that you were an artist? After about a year of college, I, I was kind of thinking what I might like to do in life, and I thought a lot about archaeology or anthropology, especially. But I was taking art classes. While I was in high school, I, I had actually won some awards in art, and as I was uh, attending some classes at uh, New Mexico State University, I found that I, I really did enjoy drawing and painting and sculpting and making ceramic pots and working with my hands. 
I came to the decision that I, I really wanted to be an artist. It's what I had the most passion for. My mother actually had was an amateur artist. Some of my earliest recollections were of her painting. So what did you do after you finished art school at Maryland Institute of Art? When I finished art college, I, I had a romantic notion to come back out west. I love the southwest especially. I love the open spaces and the bright light, the mountain air. And I decided to resume a life in the west, and I knew Taos, New Mexico, was an art colony. It was rather famous. So I decided, well, I have my art degree. I'll, I'll go to Taos. So what was it like at Taos? I made some friends rather quickly and uh, was introduced to some artists. But I, I couldn't really uh, make a living as an artist immediately. As a Baha'i, I met Baha'is who uh, were going to go do some travel teaching. And uh, eventually I, I ended up driving across the country, especially to Indian reservations. There were like four or five of us in a car doing this expedition that lasted uh, four or five months. At the end of that journey, I, I actually went out to California to live in, uh, where my parents were living in Santa Barbara for a year. And then I migrated back out to New Mexico and settled in Santa Fe, where I've basically lived for well, 35 years. Now, how did you run into the Baha'i faith? My first introduction to the Baha'i faith was when I was at New Mexico State University. As I said, I, I, did, I grew up in a household that had no religion. I think my soul was really hungry for deeper meanings, and I had been, as a young man I, and student, I, I don't know why, but I had embarked upon a period of fasting. And I was three days into a fast, and I was browsing around the library at uh, New Mexico State University, going through the shelves, looking at books, and uh, there was a little book on the shelf that had a strange name. It was called the Bhagavad Gita. That's odd. I have to take a look at this. And uh, I opened it up, and I was really enamored of the uh, writing in the book. Of course, it's uh, a Hindu holy book. So I checked the book out, and I, I uh, finished up my fast reading the Bhagavad Gita. It was actually a spiritual introduction for me. Uh, at that point, I had a, my uh, high school girlfriend had come to live with me in, uh, at New Mexico State University. And during a break, we traveled from Las Cruces, which is in the south part of New Mexico, all the way up to Santa Fe, which is, a, oh, it's about five hours north to visit uh, one of our high school friends who was at St. John's College in Santa Fe. So uh, we got up to Santa Fe and met our friend and had a few days up here. And on the day we were to leave, we went into the St. John's College cafeteria. And we sat down to have a little meal at the, and there was a group of people at a table next to us. One of the women at that table got up and came over to us and introduced herself and 
asked us if we would like to join their conversation. And so uh, my uh, friend Gessie and I looked at each other and agreed we would go and sit with this group of people. And we went to their table and sat down, and it was a group of Baha'is. And they were throwing ideas around and really quite lofty thoughts of the oneness of humanity and the need for a universal language and God is one, mankind is one, and all religions are one. Uh, As the discussion progressed, I felt some kind of very strong spiritual stirring. It was at one point I, I could swear I, I felt angels on either side of my shoulders. It was a distinct feeling of another worldly power. So that when I got up out of that gathering and went with my girlfriend outside, I turned to her immediately and I said, Did you feel that? And she looked at me and she said, Yeah, I did. It was a, an intellectual awakening, but also a powerful spiritual awakening for me also. It was almost as if an energy had come into my body that had a very high vibration. I eventually became a Baha'i. That feeling stayed with me, and within two weeks of returning to Las Cruces and New Mexico State University, I had been introduced to a group of Baha'is. And now I've been a Baha'i for over 30 years. Now, what was your parents' reaction to you becoming a Baha'i? You know, there was really no no strong reaction from my parents as to my becoming Baha'i. I, I, I think there were stronger reactions from some of my friends because of uh, the Baha'i laws that I eventually adopted. So you're no longer drinking and smoking pot? Or having sex. Or having sex, <laughs> one, of my, right. <laughs> one of my friends said, well, gosh, what do you do? <laughs> so... I looked at your website. You have a, a website showing your painting and your photography and your mixed media work. And you also have an art gallery. When did you open your art gallery? And what's the name of it and where, where would one find it? I first opened an art gallery in Santa Fe in 1986. I had several locations off and on during the course of about 11 years. I had my own gallery uh, in the art district in Santa Fe. By the way, Santa Fe is the second largest art market in the United States, even though it's a little town. People from all over the country and the world actually come to Santa Fe to buy art. So I, I had this gallery of my own for about 11 years, and then uh, I took a partner, and my oldest daughter became ill and she, we discovered she had cancer, and so my partner wanted to buy up my part of the gallery, and I sold it to him and just found another gallery that would show my work in Santa Fe. And that went on for about 13 years, and then about two years ago, I opened my own gallery again, hmm. and it's called the Stephen Boone Gallery, and it's on Canyon Road in Santa Fe. My wife works with me. She's the manager, director there. What moved you to open a gallery in 86? Well, I've always been rather a stubborn person and 
also self-reliant. And when I uh, had difficulty finding a gallery to represent me in Tanfe, uh, I just decided I'd open my own studio and open the doors to the public. And then I continued that way for 11 years. And I've basically been able to make a living as an artist for about 30 years. So if one goes to your website, graphicsshoot.com, that's G-R-A-P-H-I-X, shoot.com, what would... Yeah, one... that's my, pho- my photography website. I have uh, about four websites because I'm a writer, photographer, painter. There's the stephenboonegallery.com. What would one find there? That's my place of business on Canyon Road that's open to the public uh, where people come in and they see all my paintings, my mixed-media work, my abstracts, and uh, my prints, also my photography. Mm-hmm. A broad range of work can be seen there. And then what about stephenboone.com? stephenboone.com is it's more my uh, personal website for, for the arts. People can go to stephenboone.com and see the, uh, my paintings and, and drawings. And a pretty broad basis of art there. And then at the graphic shoot, dot com G R A P H I X S H O O T dot com graphics shoot. That's my photography and I took a trip around the world in two thousand eight. I didn't have a home or, or car and I traveled the entire year. I lived in nineteen countries and just in that one year I took over thirty thousand photographs. That's really the heart of that website. Travel photography, people and places from all across the globe. Also, some of my more experimental photography, which I've done in my studio with models. Stephen, when did you start getting into photography? Well, I, I did take courses in it during my years at art college, because in art college... Uh, the students are introduced to a really broad range of disciplines, but I didn't get really involved in it strongly until I, I started shooting photos of my own paintings to uh, reproduce, and that I, I just somehow stayed with a, a strong interest in photography, particularly when I started traveling a great deal. I, I think it it was in 2006. I took a trip out of the country. Uh, I, I lived in Venice, and I shot a lot of photographs in Venice. I got really involved in Photoshop also, uh, some of the uh, photo editing software. And I, I found that I could, I could practically paint with pixels. Just as I, I, I pick up a paintbrush in my studio, I can actually use a tablet and pen and work on my photographs, making collages and altering the light and dimensions and doing all sorts of amazing things with the photographs, just with software, and it's quite creative. So I I got excited about that. So what made you do this uh, world tour? Well, as I said, my daughter fell ill uh, in 1997. She died in 1999. She was the closest person to me in, in, in this earthly existence. It was an earth-shattering event, actually, for me. And eventually, 
within, I'd say, five years of her death, something just called to me to transform, and I, I, I really essentially uh, gave up all my material possessions. Uh, I had money in the bank, and I simplified my life down to practically just a couple suitcases, and I just took off out into the world, and I, I felt like my, my daughter, Naomi, who had died, was blessing me also, because often I, when I am at a crossroads and I need to know which way to turn, I'll summon her spirit, and her spirit is such that it's, she's a very strong spirit. Uh, strong and adventuresome and full of love. Essentially, she encourages me to live a life without barrier, but to follow my heart. So you wrote a book about your daughter's death. Yeah, after my daughter died, I I had actually started writing prior to her death because I felt she was a inspiring person, even though she was a, and she was only 18 at the time. I, I thought she had a good chance of feeding her uh, cancer, and uh, I had high hopes for that, and I thought her story would be one of such inspiration that it would be a good read. So I had started writing um as my writing progressed and her, her life progressed, the disease got worse and she died. But I continued writing for three years and finished the book. And the book actually, I self-published it and it won two awards. Even now people read it and tell me how moving it is. Her life really was a heroic one. So the book is called A Heart Traced in Sand... And I see that it won the Pinnacle Book Achievement Award as well as the Award of Merit from the Writer's Digest. Right. Do you have a favorite excerpt from the book that you could read for us? Yeah. Actually, somebody else told me that this was their favorite passage. Here's a, a paragraph that actually somebody read read my book and told me that they... Uh, we're particularly moved by this paragraph, so I'll read it. Here it is. Naomi had inspired me to be compassionate and to care for every soul anywhere that had been ruthlessly turned upon by the world. My sense of light and dark had sharpened, and I could see the great souls invariably attract the fiercest opposition. Because of Naomi's endurance of affliction, my heart became sensitive to others who bore hardships, humbling me before their glory. Moreover, Naomi was teaching me the preciousness of life as never before. Her features, the look in her eyes that said, I am, this is me, as well as her writing, her art, what she noticed in the world, and the potential of what she might become were irreplaceable. Just as every human fingerprint is unique, so too every person makes an imprint in life that is entirely their own. I came to see the preciousness of every person, their awesome importance, the place they hold as a special thread 
woven into the fabric of humanity. Now, upon hearing of a life threatened or lost, I grieve, knowing with respectful sorrow that it could not be replaced. That's sweet, Stephen. What is the Baha'i perspective on where Naomi is now? There's copious amounts of teachings in the, in, in the Baha'i world uh, concerning the afterlife. Of course, uh, Baha'u'llah has, has said that uh, when we uh, abandon our physical garment here and ascend into heaven, Baha'u'llah has said our, our powers increase tenfold. In this earthly life, uh, in, our, in our physical form, uh, we're circumscribed. Uh, we have so many contingencies that, that we have to, to take care of our body, uh, eating, sleeping, warding off illness. It's all actually kind of lowly efforts uh, often. And uh, once we're freed from this body, which is actually uh, a weight that our souls have to carry, once that weight is gone, there's a tremendous expansion into the spirit realm, freedom that uh, we don't know and can only imagine. Often, when people have experiences of their loved ones who have passed on, returning to them in visions here on earth, the person, even if they were sickly or old in real life here on this earth, in the vision, when the being reappears, they're healthy, they're full, they're full of radiance, they're, they're more beautiful than ever. I think it's because the real nutrient for the soul is uh, light. When our souls are freed from the mortal frame, the spiritual realm is where the real power is. So after they've gone on to the next life, when they reappear, they're full, they're, they're radiant, they're, they're glorious. So has that experience influenced your work? Well, I, I did feel that my paintings became more full and poignant after Naomi died, and I, I do feel her spirit informs my creativity. Especially I began uh, becoming famous for my sunset paintings. It's a, it's a magical moment when, as the sun's going down in the last hours of the day, the sky often becomes full of potency, and the earth is darkening, and there's a blast of light on the horizon. I've painted probably 50 or 60 sunsets. So, Stephen, what do you think your life would have been like if you had not run into the Baha'i faith? Well, that's an interesting question. I'm I might have gone into psychology or uh, Buddhism. I, I just believe this, the Baha'i, though, that the Baha'i faith has given me a center, a core of values that are really important for any soul to have in this world. A sense of, of uh, purpose. There are so many beautiful teachings in the Baha'i faith to aspire to. Uh, the elimination of prejudice quality of men and women, the need for uh, a universal brotherhood and harmony between religions, the oneness of mankind. 
I've met so many people that I would never have met otherwise through the Baha'i faith because it levels the playing field. I mean, at Baha'i gatherings, you'll see, you'll see taxi drivers and great camaraderie with university professors or lawyers. Everyone's equal. I've seen, I've met people of different ethnic backgrounds and races. Everyone gathered as one family in, in one room. It's remarkable. It's not like really the street. It, it, it's 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 different. It's 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 the kingdom of God on earth. Stephen, is there something you haven't done yet that you still have in your mind or vision that you want to do? I I would say that I, I think I still have more writing to do, especially if I could write in the form of a novel. That's something I I might need to do. Well, Stephen, thank you so much for sharing your work and your story with us. Oh, well, thank you for inviting me on your program. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Stephen Boone, an artist and author. You can find his work at stephenboone.com. You can find this interview and other interviews at www.abahaiperspective.com. You can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes by searching for A Baha'i Perspective. For information specifically on the Baha'i faith, you can go to the website www.baha'i.org, where you can call the toll-free number 1-800-22-UNITE. I hope you'll join me next time on A Baha'i Perspective. of the meadow, the roses of the
come His all-conquering sovereignty is manifest His all-encompassing splendor is revealed Hasten forth and circumambulate the city of God that hath descended from heaven Call out to Zion O Carmel and announce the joyful tidings He that was hidden He that was hidden from mortal eyes is come.
as a bird which soareth with the full force of its mighty wings. Ye are even as a bird which soareth with the full force of its mighty Satisfy its hunger, it turneth longingly to the water and clay. Impelled to satisfy its hunger to the water and clay of the earth below. Having been in trial in the mesh of its desire, findeth itself impotent.
and as a bird which soareth with the full force of its mighty This is WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio station, streaming at www.valleyfreeradio.org.